they just sang a truth that God is as big, that prayer is as big as just as God is. And when's the last time you prayed big prayers? God's the God of the impossible. We need to be praying big prayers, impossible prayers. Uh, I was at a, a college er, earlier this year, and, and I was talking about that during a prayer time. And, and uh, one of the girls, uh, I, just, I was just mentioning, I said, we could take time right now to pray impossible prayers. And uh, we didn't do that at that time, but uh, that night uh, she thought, you know, I'm going to start praying impossible prayer. The most impossible thing for me is to see my dad get saved. And she began to pray for her father, and it was just a couple days but her dad calls her up out of the blue on Saturday and says, I just got saved. And uh, she was so on fire. You think she's going to stop praying big prayers? Oh, no. <laughs> she's going to keep praying those big prayers. And sometimes they get answered pretty quickly. And I was with a pastor friend of mine uh, this past week and, uh, from Nevada, and he was praying for his dad to get saved. And I uh, was able to lead his father to the Lord last month. And he prayed over 40 years for his dad to get saved. Uh, and so keep praying. Wherever you're at, you know, you're praying for somebody, keep on praying. And uh, pray big prayers because we have a big God. Amen. Well, it sure is an honor to be here tonight. I'm thankful for this opportunity. And uh, name is Evangelist Tim Schmidt. I am from Sacramento, and uh, that's where I grew up, uh, based out of Faith Baptist Tabernacle in North Highlands. Uh, Heather over here, uh, her dad is my pastor. And uh, no pastor has had a bigger impact in my life than Pastor Mike Rogers. And I'm thankful for my pastor, thankful for my home church. It's the same church that I was saved, baptized, called to preach, uh, preached my first message, and I'm sent out of that same local church. And uh, what a blessing that is. And I uh, went to Bible College in North Carolina, and uh, when God called me to be an evangelist, uh, I was very shy and quiet. I hated getting in front of people. There was nothing about evangelism that appealed to me other than traveling. I love to travel. I've been to all 50 states, several foreign countries, uh, New Zealand, Mexico, Canada, Israel, North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> North Carolina was a foreign country to me when I went out there. And, and uh, of course, they, uh, you know, everything's different. I mean, people drive differently out there. They talk differently. They eat different kinds of food. I never had had uh, fried okra, uh, didn't have sweet tea until then, uh, uh, biscuits and gravy, grits, all of that was not part of my growing up. But uh, so there's some good things about the South there. But but I remember uh, just going there, everything changed. Even my name changed. It went from a one-syllable word to a two-syllable word. It went from Tim to Tam. Uh, and so everything changed. But I'm thankful for the time that I was there. And, and it was there at college that I met uh, my wife, uh, Megan. Uh, Megan grew up in Columbus, Georgia. And so I got a southern wife, although her mom was, uh, grew up in Daly City, San Francisco area, and her dad was in the Army. And so you don't, if you talk to her, you won't really pick up much of an accent. She's kind of lost it. But when she gets back uh, in the South, gets around some Southern people, she'll pick that back up again. And uh, I'm so thankful for uh, my wife. She's the first girl that I ever dated. I didn't know if the Lord would work it out that way. I was hoping that would be. And, and I'm the first guy she ever dated. And uh, so that's pretty neat. And my mom says, Tim, how in the world did you get Megan? Now, if your mom says that, that you're, you've done a pretty good job. And uh, I think of the verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, that God is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. And uh, she is my exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask or think. And uh, I'm very thankful for uh, my wife, thankful to serve the Lord in evangelism. Uh, this uh, July will mark 10 years in evangelism. And uh, there's nothing else I'd rather do. This is God's call upon my life. And thankful to be here at Central Valley. And your pastor has been a blessing to me. A verse I think of with him 
is Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. And uh, your pastor throughout the years has just been very kind to me, and I appreciate his tender heart to the Lord, and thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight. We're going to take our Bibles, and we're going to go to all the way to the book of Genesis. All right, Genesis chapter 32 is where we're going to go tonight. Genesis chapter 32. God has placed a calling and a burden on my heart for revival. My heart beats revival. I love to hear about revivals that have taken place, even in America. Uh, Some amazing things that have happened. I love studying about those preachers and seeing how God used them, and then seeing similarities between the different revivals and the preachers God used. Although each revival is different, there is an aspect of every revival that exists. Now, there are two types of revival that I'm talking about tonight. Usually when we mention the word revival, we're kind of mentioning these two different types. One is a mass revival, uh, like we read about of the Great Awakening or Wales or the island of Lewis back in the 50s. Uh, That is a mass revival. That is not something that can be emotionally worked up. That's something that has been prayed down. It is God's doing. It's not man's sensationalism or his emotions. And that's a mass revival. That's something God is going to have to do. Now, there's another revival that we can all have, that we can all be a part of tonight, this week. And that's a personal revival. A personal revival. And my prayer is that God will do some reviving in your life during our time together. Now, in all revivals, whether they are mass or corporate revivals or whether they're individual, there are specific aspects that must occur. And one of those aspects I want to preach on tonight, and we find it here in Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 24. Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 24. And Jacob was left alone. There wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. He said, thy name should be called no more Jacob, but Israel. We've heard of that name. <laughs> for as a prince is thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. I've seen God face to face. My life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. With heads bowed and eyes closed, Would you pray this prayer to the Lord tonight? Lord, whatever it is that you speak to my heart about tonight, by your grace, I will do it. Would you pray that prayer to the Lord? Or whatever it is that you speak to my heart about tonight, by your grace, I will do it. Why don't you just set your heart towards obedience tonight? Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture and how you have changed my life through it. And Lord, you have orchestrated this night for all of us to be together and Lord, there is something specific that you want to speak to us about. And Lord, I, along with these others, pray whatever it is 
that you speak to my heart about tonight, by your grace, I will do it. Lord, I set my heart towards obedience. Lord, I surrender. I come with you, come before you with open hands. So Lord, may you exalt your word tonight. May you draw us nearer by us being here. Lord, take away the dross from the silver that would come forth a vessel for the finer. Do whatever you need to do in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We find Jacob in a very critical time in his life. He's just heard word that this next day he's going to meet his brother Esau. Now, the last thing he knows of Esau is that Esau wants to kill him. He remembers in Genesis 27, and you can flip a few pages over, Genesis 27 and verse 41. And Jacob hated, or he, and Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, then will I slay my brother Jacob. Verse 42, and these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. And so we know that Esau uh, was tricked out of his birthright, and then he, of course, Jacob tricked uh, uh, Isaac into giving him or the birthright, and Esau was the blessing. And, and we have these, uh, these things that Jacob's done, and now Esau is, is very angry. He's very upset for uh, stealing away this blessing, and now he wants to kill his brother Jacob. I was asking my wife, I said, you know, we were talking about Jacob and Esau, and I said, well, tell me what do you know about Jacob and Esau? And we started thinking about it, and she says, well, uh, Esau's the first person to ever experience identity theft. Uh, you know, that's a, a prevalent crime these days. Well, here we've got the first one in the Bible uh, of identity theft. And, and certainly he took advantage of Esau, and now Jacob is, is going to flee for his life, and that's the last thing he knows of Esau. So the next morning is a, is a life and death situation. He could be killed the very next day. Now, Esau, or, Lee, or Jacob, is not a dummy. He's divided his company into two parts. That way, if, if Esau meets this part and, and kills them, at least he'll have a remnant that remains. Tomorrow morning, he will be seeing Esau. But the night before, God's going to change him forever. God's going to take him through a process that, that God needs to take each one of us. God's going to do some reviving in Jacob's life. And in all revivals, whether they're individual or they're corporate, there is one aspect of revival that's always there. What is that aspect? Brokenness. Brokenness. And brokenness is the beginning of revival. That's the title of the message tonight. Brokenness, the beginning of revival. In order for you to have revival, you must be broken. Number one, we'll see Jacob was alone with God. Number two, Jacob was hungry for God. Number three, Jacob was broken by God. And then lastly, number four, Jacob got honest with God. Look at verse number 24. Jacob was alone with God. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Now, Jacob gets alone. All distractions have been removed. Now, aren't you glad we live in a day and age which there are no distractions? Oh, there's tons of distractions. Ian Bounds said in his, in his books on prayer, he says, with the invention of, of trains these days, we live in such a fast-paced society. And that was in the late 1800s. <laughs> he says that we live in such a fast-paced society that it's affected our prayer life. It's affected our devotional life. What would he say now with cars and planes and 
all the distractions that we have today. I echo with pastor. I was thinking about saying that as well, that, you know, that, that you could fast, you could fast uh, from food, but you can fast some, from Facebook, you can fast from the news. I believe there's, there, there's something God wants you to do this week in the matter of fasting. To say, God, I'm going to set this aside and I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to put this time, this extra time upon you in prayer. Jacob was alone with God. He removed the distractions. And when's the last time you got alone with God? Now, I'm not asking when's the last time you went out soul winning. I'm not asking when's the last time you came to church. I'm not even asking you when's the last time you read your Bible. I'm not even asking you when's the last time you went through your prayer list. When's the last time you got alone with God? Where you actually got a hold of the ear of God and He got a hold of you. That, that you, that when you read His Word, that He spoke to you and you knew it was Him speaking to your heart. But Evangelist's friend, he, uh, call, uh, pastor called him up and, and uh, he was all on fire for God. And my evangelist friend at the time was not. And, uh, and, he's, and he's, you know, saying, talking to him. And he says, now, Brother Harold, did you meet with God today? And uh, he didn't want to answer the question. And so he changes the subject. You know how we do that. And, uh, and so he, you know, talks about something else. And then the pastor says, Brother Harold, did you meet with God today? And again, he changes the subject. Finally, the pastor asks him this third time. He says, Brother Harold, did you meet with God today? He said, well, I, I took a stab at praying. I read a little bit of the Bible, but no, I didn't meet with God. He said, well, are you going to do it, Brother Harold? He said, if you let me get off this phone, <laughs> he said, I'm going to lock my door, I'm going to shut off my cell phone, and I'm going to stay there until I meet with God. You've had your devotions, but did you meet with God? You see, it doesn't matter how much you go through this Bible. What matters is how much this Bible has gone through you. Amen. When's the last time you got alone with God? You see, our God is very personal. There's no God that knows its followers like our God knows us. Uh, we just uh, sang some songs that were very personal and how, how uh, you know, I was the reason. That was I, and not just we are the reason. No, I was the reason. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. My pastor uh, was going through some, some difficult times many years ago and and uh, going through some depression, different things, and panic attacks. And, and uh, one of the things, the, one of the lies that he believed, and he would tell this to you if he was here, uh, he said, I would preach God loves the world, but I didn't truly believe that God loved me. You go, God loves the world, but God loves you. You see, there's nobody on this earth like you. Now, I brought something with me tonight that's very special. Now, you might question my values in life. But uh, I brought tonight a plate. Now, this plate is very special to me. Uh, I remember I drew all of this. I, when I was 10 years old, uh, I made this plate. I remember riding this Kansas City Royals. Now, I grew up in Sacramento. I was born in Wichita, Kansas. My grandfather was a big Royals fan. And so it just kind of kind of passed on to me. And, and I, I've been a Royals fan all my life. For the most part, they've been very pathetic. And, uh, and been one of the worst sports teams ever. And, and I've thought to myself, well, I'd like to have some of the, the Royals be my pallbearers. That way they can let me down one last time in my life. <laughs> but I've been a faithful fan. I've even got my Royals socks on right now. And, and, uh, and so I remember drawing this Kansas City Royals, George Brett, my favorite player. I still pray for his salvation. And, and, uh, and this plate is very special to me. You know why? Because I made it. You see, there's no other plate like this plate. Uh, you can't go to Walmart and buy this plate. They don't sell that, and there's probably a reason why for that. Uh, you can't buy this on Amazon. 
This play, there's no, there's no other plate like this plate. The same thing is with you. God made you. There's nobody else like you. You've got your thumbprint. Nobody has your thumbprint. Nobody has your ear print or your tongue print. God made you. He created you. He says, you are special to me. And this plate is very special to me. There's no plate that, I, that, that, that I've uh, eaten more off of. My mom, when she would cook the, the evening meal, she'd always uh, make sure that I had this plate. Uh, man, there's been a lot of pieces of pizza, probably too many, uh, on this plate. And, uh, and, you know, this plate has meant so much to me. I've kept it. I don't have many things from when I was a kid, but this one I have. And, uh, and if I were ever to lose this plate, my heart would just, it would just sink. I mean, I just like, man, I, I, I would hate to lose this plate. But what happens if I left it somewhere or maybe somebody stole it? Uh, and, and I remind you, thou shall not steal. Uh, but what happens if I left this somewhere and somebody picks it up and like, okay, Kansas City Royals, yeah, I'm going to sell this on eBay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell it for $10. You know, if, this, if I lost the plate and I saw it on eBay for $10, you know what I'd do? I'd buy it back. If it was $20, you know what I'd do? I'd buy it back. If it was $40, you know what I'd do? I'd buy it back. If it was $80, you know what I'd do? I'd have to pray about that one. Uh, I would do what I can to buy it back. And the same thing is with you. Sin has separated you from God, and God says, you're so valuable to me, I'm going to buy you back. And that price, as we sung about the old rugged cross, it was an extremely high price. Oh, how God loves you. He's personal. He knows everything about you. He wants, if you're lost, He wants to save you. He wants you to to come and and, and to have saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I know that if I died today, that I would go to heaven because of Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As a five-year-old boy, I realized on a Sunday night service that I needed Jesus Christ to save me. And uh, this, this plate's just a poor illustration of what Christ has done for us. But this plate means a lot to me because I made it. I created it. I wrote all these things. God says, you're special to me because I made you. And God is, God is very personal. There's, there's no God that knows its followers. And, and, it's not, and when we talk about this matter of prayer, it's not just the pastor that's praying. It's not just the pastor that's supposed to pray. It's not just the evangelist that's supposed to pray. It's the born-again Christian that is supposed to pray. He is personal to you. To get alone with God, where it's just you and God. Nobody else. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted in the earth. This is a good time in our nation to be still and know that He is God. To know that He is exalted above the heathen. He's exalted in the earth. Psalm 27, 8, When thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. We have men that know their Bibles, but they don't know their God. We need to get to know God. You see, coming to church isn't just knowing about God. When you learn the doctrines in, in Sunday school and, and as pastor preaches, as you learn these things of, of, uh, of justification and, and propitiation, all these things that are, that are taught in the Scriptures, you know what it ought to do? It ought to drive you nearer to God. It ought to excite your heart that, that I am saved and that I can't lose my salvation. Amen. That this is the worst it's ever going to get. That I've got a bright future ahead of me. Jacob got alone with God. When's the last time you got alone with God? Mark 4.19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. There are many thoughts I have in my heart. Uh, I don't all know what I'm going to preach on the next couple of nights. But uh, 
there's so many distractions we can have. And you know that God wants revival more than we want it? You know, it's not God that's quenching revival, it's us. The problem with revival doesn't lie with God, it lies with us. You see, there's a work that God wants to do in your heart. But you let other things come into the, the, the cares of this world. You let other things come in and it chokes the word. Quench not the Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. It's so easy to do that. And I was uh, talking to one pastor friend of mine and uh, I talked to a couple of preachers about a meeting that happened in Tennessee and, and God was moving in an unusual way. And, and this, uh, the song leader, just not even understanding what God was doing, got up and just sang another rousing song. He says, once that song leader got up and sang that rousing song, it just quenched the spirit. God was doing something unusual. I was talking to another preacher friend of mine. He says, Tim, I was part of quenching that spirit. He says, God told me to go forward to the invitation, and I refused. He says, I, I helped in that. And he says, Tim, God was wanting to do something, and we quenched it. I don't want to quench the spirit. I don't want to be a hindrance to what God wants to do, but, but I'm afraid if God were to, to show me my life many times, I have quenched Him. He's wanted to do more. We've had the sin of unbelief. Sometimes we get so busy that we don't even think about God. We're, God's not in all of our thoughts. In Psalm 10.4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. That oneness, that aloneness with God, that time when it's just you and the Lord, Oh, how precious that is. Megan and I started dating. I, I told her, I said, Megan, uh, God's calling me to be an evangelist. I have no clue how that will ever work out. And, uh, but I said, if that doesn't appeal to you at all, let's just break it off right now. And she said, well, my assistant pastor told me when I was a teenager that uh, I'd make a great evangelist wife someday. And uh, so in her mind, she thought maybe God would have me marry an evangelist. And she does make a great evangelist wife. And I remember that first time, we, uh, we, we, our first date was a Valentine's banquet, but then the next day, uh, we had uh, our first time, just her and I together in the cafeteria. It was a Sunday night meal, and we only had a certain amount of time to be together before we had to head back to the dorm. And, and so uh, we get our food, I pray, and, uh, and I remember what it was like when some of my friends would start dating and just kind of treat me like I'm nothing, and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to be a little more outgoing and be friendly, and so... Uh, this guy comes up and he starts talking to me. I asked him, I don't know, one or two questions. And this guy talked. And he loves to talk. And talk is what he did. And he just kept talking and talking. Now, maybe he was thinking, I've never seen Tim with a girl before. Uh, maybe I need to rescue Megan from him. I don't know. And, you know, but he just kept talking and talking. We finished our food and he still was talking. As a matter of fact, he talked the entire time we were supposed to have together. He looks up at the clock and he says, oh, it's curfew. We got to go. Megan and I never even had a conversation. Now, how do you think that made me feel? I was upset. I can talk to you anytime I want. I only have a certain amount of time to be alone with her, to be just, just her and I there in that cafeteria. Does it bother you when things take you away from your aloneness with God? Does it even bother you? When things take away, are you jealous and protective of getting alone with God? I'm going to hit this while I can. I, Susanna Wesley, she had uh, 17 children, I believe. And, and, you know, how do you have aloneness with God <laughs> with 17 children? Well, she would put her apron over her head and the children knew, don't bother mom. That was her quiet time. That was her prayer closet. That's when she was alone with God. 
And so there's some place, there's some time that God wants to meet with you. He's very personal. You have an appointment with Him tomorrow. There's a certain time, a certain place He wants to meet with you. When's the last time you got alone with God? Then number two, Jacob was hungry for God. He says there in verse 25, when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Jacob was hungry for God. Now there's a wrestling match that's going around, and this uh, the angel of the Lord, and, and, it, and in the beginning of this wrestling match, God has a hold of Jacob. Does God have a hold of you tonight? Is he upon the throne of your heart? I asked one of the best Christians I know, I said, why do you do what you do? What motivates you? He says, Tim, I just think of it as my reasonable service. Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Has God been merciful to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God has been merciful. Those mercies ought to motivate you to love him and serve him even more. By the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God never asks us to do anything unreasonable. Some people say this is, this is the pinnacle of Christianity. If I could just get to, to being you know, the Romans 12.1 Christian. But this isn't the pinnacle. This isn't the height. This is the starting point. This is the beginning, not the end. You see, you belong to God. You have a limit to your obedience. You say, God, I'll obey, you. I'll obey you up to this certain point, but after that, that's an extreme. Well, who came up with that? Doesn't God own you? Didn't he pay the price for your, for your sins, for your soul? The greatest thief in California is not the one who's in prison for grand larceny, but that Christian man or woman that has been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, bought, paid for, owned by God, but lives for themselves. That's the greatest thief. In California. 2 Corinthians 5.15, and that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In this wrestling match, God had a hold of Jacob. Does, does God have a hold of you? Now Jacob desires to get a hold of God. And the principle is this: before you and I can ever get a hold of the ear of God, he must have a hold of us. You see, you may pray and pray, but if you're not surrendered, your prayers are vanity. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs 28, 9, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. You show me how much you love this book, and I'll show you how much you love Jesus Christ. You see, we turn our ears away from hearing the law. God says, stop your praying. Your prayers are abomination. Proverbs 28, 9. You are to take a, uh, this book and put it into a person as Jesus Christ. You are to take Jesus Christ and put it into a book that's the Holy Word of God. Again, you show me how much you love this book, I'll show you how much you love Jesus Christ. See, when revival comes, this book is going to be so precious to you. I was uh, at my home church, there was a man named John Dolezal, and God just did a, uh, he saved him, but God did a 180 in his life. He'd messed up his life with drugs and alcohol and just wouldn't think straight and and it was hard to have a conversation with him. And he's one of these guys that uh, were just a drain when you're around him. And, uh, and I tried to limit my time around him. But then as he started growing in Christ, he began to become a blessing. And uh, there were times, and he'd tell me, he says, now, Tim, when I see your name in the bulletin and see what church you're at, he says, I'm praying for you. He says, no, whenever you're not here, I'm going to be praying for you. 
And uh, in the beginning, when John came, I didn't really want to deal with him. Uh, there was some other, my pastor did a great job with him. I remember one missions conference, and John was sitting on the second row, and, and, the, and the mission speaker just mentioned a reference to the Bible. Didn't, didn't mention, you know, quote the verse, he just mentioned a reference. And there's John with his Bible, his pad of paper, and he writes down that reference. And then he starts looking up the reference while still listening to the mission speaker. And then he makes another notation and flips back. And I sat there uh, just across the way from him, and I thought, I remember when I was like that. I remember when I thought, just give me a reference. I'll look it up. I was so hungry and thirsty for God's word. I wanted what God had for me. But God then convicted my heart and said, Tim, you need to get back to that. You see, in this time that we have together, there, you may be in that, that situation right now where the word of God just, just seems cold and calloused. Don't stay there. Let God rip that callousness off your heart and give you a heart of tenderness to his word once again. It's great when God gets a hold of a man. It's even better when a man can get old, when a man gets a hold of God. But are you doing Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get right? Leonard Ravenhill's one of my favorite authors. He uh, just uh, kind of one of these guys, uh, so heavenly minded, no earthly good. He was just an amazing man of God. Spent spent many many hours and full days in prayer. And he said, the reason why we don't have revival is because we're content to live without it. He said, we're not willing to pay the price for revival. You see, when, the, when, the, when God begins to show you the price, it hurts. You don't want to go through the pain of it all. Jacob's going to go through some pain, but he's going to be revived. And it'll be well, well worth it in the end. But are you willing to do whatever it takes to get right with God? I was in a service some years ago when a man got up and gave testimony and God had done a reviving work in his heart and he talked about how that uh, before he got saved, uh, he had uh, stolen from his employer. And, uh, and you know, I, he's grown in the Lord and things, and God reminds him of that time when he stole from his employer. And he says, God, I can't do that. I can't go and get things right. This guy could press charges. I could go to prison. I can't do this. And he says, as I rebelled against God, what God was wanting me to do, he says, I would pray, but nothing would happen. He says, it, just, I, just, it seemed like God was just so far away. He says, it took several days, but then I finally said, okay, God, I'll trust you. I'll do whatever it takes to, to, for revival. He went to that former employer and told what he did, and, and uh, the, the employer was merciful to him, forgave him of that debt. And uh, he goes back to praying, and he says, all right, God, I got this right. And he starts praying some more, and then God shows him another person before he got saved that he had stolen from, this elderly lady. And he says, well, this lady, she's, she's already gone. She died. Yeah, but she has a daughter, and you need to go see the daughter. So he went and, and paid the money back to that daughter. And, and he says, after I, I got those two things right, he says, the heavens just opened up. He says, God has so revived me. He was willing to do whatever it took for revival. Are you willing to pay the price for personal revival? God wants to revive you. And by the way, whatever price that is pales in comparison to the price Jesus Christ paid for you. What is it that you're putting before the Lord? What is it that you need to surrender to Him? Who do you need to stop hanging around? What shows and websites do you need to stop looking at and watching? Jacob was hungry for God. He wanted the blessing. And he began to become willing to pay the price for this, for this blessing, for this reviving. So we see, number one, Jacob was alone with God. Number two, Jacob was hungry for God. And now number three, Jacob was broken 
by God. Now, the word broken occurs in a variety of ways, uh, 186 times in the Bible. Before the bread and the meat could be used of God, the feeding of the 5,000, it had to be broken. So it's true with us. Before we can be used of God, we have to be broken. Now, I'm talking about two types of, of brokenness tonight. One is a special time like Jacob. This is a, a night he'll never forget. He'll remember it for the rest of his life. And I've been through some of those. Some of those times when I've wrestled with the Lord and the Lord has broken me. All throughout Scripture, we find men that have been broken by God. And Job was, at a pro, uh, was broken by God. Jeremiah uh, was broken. Jeremiah 23, 9. My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man and like a man with whom wine hath overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of His holiness. And God sent the prophet Nathan to David to show him his sin. And, and he began to become broken over his sin. Psalm 51.8, Make me to hear joy and gladness to the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now was it that his physical bones were broken? No. What was he, what was he expressing? It was that inward intense pain that he was experiencing. What caused us the need to, to be broken? Pride. Pride brings us to the point where we need to be broken. Meg and I were doing a VBS at our home church several years ago and knocked on some doors in an apartment complex and picked up this, this kid, and uh, David, and I, uh, I said, David, do you have a friend that you can bring? He says, yeah, I'll get my cousin. And, and so uh, he comes along too, and I, I said, David, do you have a Bible? And he says, no. And I said, well, here, let me give you a Bible. And, and, uh, and I said, here's a dollar for our, our penny offering. He's like, oh, okay. And, and so uh, I pick him up, bring him to the thing, and, and uh, we had a great night, and I'm driving him home, and he is just bragging on himself. He says, you see that? Do you see that I'm first place in all the points? I had a Bible. I had the money. I had the offering. I had a visitor. He says, I'm in first place out of all the kids. And he just bragged and bragged the whole time we, until we got, took him home. He gets out of the car, shuts the door, and goes back inside. I mean, not one thank you. Uh, I'm driving away, and I'm thinking, that turkey, you know? I mean, he's, hey, I'm the one that gave him the dollar. I'm the one that had the, the Bible. I'm the one that, that picked up his cousin. I'm the one that knocked on his door. I'm the one that did all of these things. He wouldn't be in first place if it weren't for me. And I didn't even see here one thank you from him. And as I'm driving in my car, I think I was uh, maybe by myself, God got in that passenger seat and began to convict my heart. And he says, Tim, that's exactly how you've treated me. Oh, we boast about our gifts. Oh, I handled that, that situation at work so well. I'm so good at this. I'm so good at that. God's not impressed with your abilities. He's the one that gave them to you. <laughs> Proverbs 6, 16, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. The last time you had a proud look. Probably it wasn't that long ago. Oh, so many things I want to share. Proud people have a critical fault-finding spirit. They look at everyone else's faults with a microscope, but they view their own with a telescope. Broken people are compassionate. They have a kind love that overlooks a multitude of sins. They can forgive much because they know how much they've been forgiven. There's times in my, in my prayer time, I'll ask God to be thorough with me. I'll confess sin, but I'm like, okay, Lord, these are what I know, but what else? Be thorough with me. And those times, uh, some of them have gone a half hour, hour, two hours, and I'm just confessing, God's showing me things. I was in a revival meeting, I'm preaching the meeting, and 
It was a Tuesday, and I, Megan and I were driving to the meeting, and I had one of those days where just I'm just like, Lord, what else? What else? And, and I thought I, I had gotten everything right, and, and uh, we're driving to the meeting, and I said, Lord, what else? And God then speaks to my heart, not, not audibly, but you know, uh, speaks to my heart and says, Tim, you think you're better than some of the people you're about to preach to. And he was right. I thought of myself here and some of the people down here. What does the Bible say? Let each esteem other better than themselves. I'm no better than anybody else. And there was pride in my heart. And I would have been the hindrance that night to God working. Proud people are especially prone to criticize those in positions of authority. Their pastor, their boss, their husband, their parents. And they talk to others about the faults they see. Broken people reverences, encourages, and get this, and lifts up those that God has placed in positions of authority. And they talk to God in intercession rather than gossiping about the faults they see in others. You see, it's not the outside influences that is going to destroy this church. It's the inward. It's the pride. It's the gossiping. Death and life from the power of the tongue. The tongue can kill this church. The tongue can kill what God is wanting to do here. Proud people are so protective of their time, their rights, and their reputation. Broken people are self-denying and self-sacrificing. I have seven of these. I've read three. Here's another one, number four. Proud people try to control the people and circumstances around them. They are prone to manipulate. Broken people trust in God. They rest in Him and are able to wait for Him to act on their behalf. That means they pray. They seek God in those things and ask God to change those circumstances and situations. Proud people compare themselves with others and feel worthy of respect. Broken people compare themselves with the holiness of God and feel a desperate need for His mercy. Proud people don't think they need to repent of anything. Broken people realize they need to maintain a continual heart attitude of repentance. And then the last one. Proud people don't think they need revival, but they're pretty sure everybody else does. In fact, right now, they're making a mental note of the people who should hear this list. That get you, it got me when I first read that. I came off of a book called Brokenness by Nancy Lay DeMoss. Broken people continually sense their need for a fresh encounter with God and for a fresh filling of His Holy Spirit. One of the best books I've read on brokenness and revival is The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. He said, brokenness is a requisite for revival. To be broken is the beginning of revival. There has never been a revival without brokenness, whether it's been individual or whether it's been corporate. It's always started with brokenness. There have been times in my life where God has broken me, where I get a glimpse of the holiness of God and and the, and the, the extreme selfishness and sinfulness and my own nothingness before Him, that I see that I am but dust and ashes, that I see that, that portion of God's holiness and my own sinfulness, and, and oh, how precious those times are, but, but sometimes they're so intense that you're not even sure you're going to survive. We must let Him once again break us. I'm not talking about situations that, that you've gone through, some hard situations. I'm talking about brokenness and and breaking of the will. My neighbor, I was watching him across the street. They have several horses, and he was working his horses. You know what he was trying to do to that stallion? He was trying to break him. What does that mean, to break the will? So that now he's in control. You see, we've got that pride, and God's seeking to break us. We may go through pain, but we may not be broken broken with God. Jacob allowed God to break him and to change him. 
He touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Brokenness and daily experience is simply the response of humility to the conviction of God. So you have this special time in Jacob's life, but then there's an everyday brokenness that you and I need to have. And that is this, brokenness and daily experience is simply the response of humility to the conviction of God. Roy Hessian said that in his book. He went on to say, being broken is both God's work and ours. He brings his pressure to bear, but we, must, we have to make the choice. And all day long, the choice will be before us in a thousand ways. Throughout this day, I've had the choice to be broken, <laughs> to respond in humility to God's conviction, or to resist and be prideful. Jacob was alone with God. Number two, Jacob was hungry for God. Then number three, Jacob was broken by God. And now lastly, Jacob got honest with God. Verse 27, he said unto him, what is thy name? I wonder when God asked him his name, if his mind raced back through his life. You know, that from his birth, he was a trickster. He was trying to get advantage and grab the heel of his brother. And he tricked Esau into selling his birthright and of course, tricked his father into giving the blessing. Genesis 27, 12 says, My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall see to him as a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. He's saying to his mom, if I do this, I'm going to seem like I'm a deceiver. Well, that's what you are, Jacob. You are a deceiver. You see, he appeared to himself as more spiritual than what he really was. You ever been there? I have. I'm appearing more spiritual than what I really am. He was more concerned about appearance than he was integrity. So he does deceive his father and goes through the test of the voice. And, and his father says, you know, who are you? And, and Jacob says, my name's Esau. He lies. He deceives. And Esau is a man of the field. And, and, uh, and so Isaac wants to bring him closer and he feels his hands. And of course, his hands are hairy. And Smells his clothes, and his clothes, he's got all that taken care of. He's got the, uh, the smell, all of that. He was able to fool Isaac, but now he's in Penua, and it's just him and God. He's not able to fool God. You see, you can be a fake here. You can be a fake at work. You can be a fake even in your own home. But when you meet with God face-to-face at Peniel, there is no, there's no more mask. There's no more pretending. God sees you exactly as you are. And at this moment, Jacob, uh, as I think about, uh, you know, maybe he was racing through his mind through all the things that he had done, those deceiving times. Now, Jacob had some good character qualities. He was a hard worker. He was loyal. There were some good things about Jacob, but, but he had this, this issue of being a deceiver, being a liar. And, and finally, he gets honest with God and he says, my name is Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the one that's out for my own personal gain. And right at that moment, he got honest with God of who he was. If God were to ask you your name, what would you have to say? Call me Mara. Don't call me Naomi and Ruth, Naomi Pleasant One. You call me Mara because I'm bitter. Is your name bitter tonight? The one sin that is, that is holding back the power of God, and this is, this is the, throughout the, uh, the generations, is the sin of bitterness. But you have to say, my name's bitter. By the way, are you going to let your hurt be bigger than your God, or are you going to let your God be bigger than your hurt? What would your name be? Music that God can't stand, listener? Gossiper? Luster? Prideful? What would your name be? It's time to get honest with God. When the angel had asked him his name, he had to come to grips with his condition. 
And you're not dealing with your spouse or your parents, your teacher, your pastor. You're dealing with God. This God of holiness. There's no more mass. There's no more pretending. You must get open and honest before God. So many thoughts are going through my mind. I want to grab them, but one of them is this. I would rather have the devil against me than God. Yeah, there's opposition. But I would rather have that opposition than God's opposition opposing me. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Luke 12, 4, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that that they have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. You can't even gaze into the sun without turning your eyes away. What are you going to do when you get in the presence of God? Jacob says, I'm done fighting God. I'm done pretending. I'm ready to get open and honest with God. I'm willing to pay the price for revival. When he got honest and open with God, God did something amazing. Look at verse number 28. He said, thy name should be called no more Jacob, but Israel. Lots in the news every day. This is where it started. Right here, Israel, friends of princes, thy power with God and with men and has prevailed. And look at verse number 30. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. You see, when you get open and honest with God, God's going to restore. He's going to put it back together again. I go back to my plate. Some of you that probably in the front row could tell this, but the very top of this plate is broken. I was in a revival meeting in Illinois and flew home and I opened up my luggage and I saw this whole top part had just broken off. Oh, my heart just sunk. So I threw the plate away. No, I didn't. And what I would try to do is I, I try to glue it back together and put it back together again. And the glue hasn't helped out a whole lot. It's come off a couple of times, so now I have it taped. I no longer put this in the cupboard. This isn't just in a, in a place with a closed door. This plate, many, thousands of people have seen this plate. This plate is being used far more because it's now broken than what it was before. See, I've never regretted obeying God, no matter how hard. How much it hurt? How much pain? Because God's way is always best. And God, you know, just like this plate, wants to put you back together again to restore you. And, and no, maybe, maybe there will be some scars in your life and maybe it, you won't be used the same way you were before, but there's some greater things God wants to do in and through your life. At verse 30, I, I have meditated on this. I've wrestled with it. Different commentators say different things. One of them says that, that this was God giving him assurance that his life is preserved, that Esau's not going to kill him. But I liked what one preacher said about this. He said, I've wrestled with God, and he let me live. He let me live. I've seen God face to face, and he let me live. God is the God who heals our brokenness. Psalm 147.3, he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. In Psalms, God tells us that he draws near what kind of people? Broken. I love being in church. I love traveling around the country. I love meeting Christians and, and, and just shaking their hand. We don't even have to give our salvation testimony. The Spirit self beareth witness of our spirit that we are the children of God. What kind of people does God want to be around? The broken. The contrite. Psalm 30, verse 5, For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. That brokenness was throughout Jacob's life as he limped. Hebrews eleven twenty one by faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top 
of his staff. That brokenness was still there. Brokenness and daily experience is simply the response of humility to the conviction of God. Do you need to be broken tonight? We prayed that prayer, Lord, whatever it is that you speak to my heart about tonight, by your grace, I will do it. Now is our time to respond. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.